Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. This is episode 123, and today is 17 May. I figured I'd get a quick episode in. Maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. Um, so let me get started. As usual, if we have a Ukraine story, we'll start with Ukraine. So uh, this one is from Defense Post. I did quite a few stories from Defense Post tonight. Um, this one is from the staff. UK and Dutch pledge fighter jets support for Ukraine from 16 May, which was yesterday. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte on Tuesday pledged to build an international coalition to provide fighter jet support for Ukraine. Uh, The Prime Minister and Prime Minister Rutte agreed that they would work to build an international coalition to provide Ukraine with combat air capabilities, supporting with everything from training to procuring F-16 jets. A spokesman for Sunak's Downing Street office said in a statement, following a meeting at the Council of Europe Summit in Iceland. After visiting Sunak at at his country estate outside London on Monday, Ukrainian President Zelensky said he was very positive about a jet coalition in his country's war with Russia. Western nations have balked so far at providing advanced jets to help Ukraine take command of the skies against Russia. Uh, Sunak said on Monday, however, the UK was preparing to open a flight school to train its pilots. French President Emmanuel Macron said at the, tank, at the same time offered to train Ukrainian pilots but ruled out sending warplanes to Kiev. Reacting to the pledge in his nightly address, Zelensky called it a good start to the coalition, adding thank you all. A Sunak spokesman said the Prime Minister had also reiter- reiterated his belief that UK, uh, Ukraine's rightful place is in NATO and that the leaders agreed on the importance of allies providing long-term security assistance to Ukraine to guarantee they can deter against future attacks. So that's the first one. Second story for Ukraine uh, involves France. While we're talking about France there, uh, President Macron. This is from 17 May today. We have some, most of our stories I think are pretty, pretty darn recent, a uh, day or two. So this is also from Defense Post. France to send new missiles to Ukraine for counteroffensive Macron. Ender Bish, 17 May. Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron announced his country will deliver new missiles to Ukraine days after Kiev used the UK-delivered Storm Shadow cruise missile inside Russian-occupied Ukrainian territory. Macron didn't reveal the missile's identity. However, he said its range would enable Ukraine to resist and to lead this upcoming counteroffensive. The president insisted that the missile wouldn't have the range to reach Russian territory. Here's a quote from President Macron. We are not supplying weapons that would be able to reach Russia. Sometimes we have to impose limits. Macron underlined in a TV interview with the French TV channel TFI, or TF1. Uh, Like the UK, France could send the Storm Shadow, known in France as the Scalp EG, air-to-ground missile. 
The Scalp EG can strike a target over 155 miles away, or 249K, and its 992 or 450 kilogram warhead is capable of penetrating hardened targets such as underground bunkers. The missile features stealth and low altitude flight profile to reduce the possibility of interception. Uh, a little bit about France. France has sent Caesar self-propelled howitzers, Milan anti-tank missiles, Mistral anti-aircraft missiles, and AMX-10 RC light armor vehicles to Ukraine since the war broke out last year. I think they're one of the first to send armored vehicles. Uh, on Monday, Macron announced a new arms package to Ukraine while hosting the Ukrainian President Zelensky in Paris, including armored vehicles and the AMX-10RC. Citing a source, Reuters wrote, that Reuters wrote that France would provide more modern weapons to Ukraine, ex excluding fighter jets, which I think we talked about in the last article. Uh, moving on, what's next? We'll go to Denmark. Like I said, we got kind of some back-to-back -back stories here from Defense Post. Uh, Denmark to base short, this is an air defense story, so Denmark to base short range air defense system on Rheinmetall's Sky Ranger. This is from Rojef Manuel, where we do a lot of his stories. 17 May. A lot of good stories in uh, Defense Post last couple of days. One of my go-to sites. So here we go. Denmark plans to equip its armed forces with a new mobile short-range air defense system based on Rheinmetall's Sky Ranger. The Sky Ranger is equipped with anti-aircraft missiles and a 30-millimeter machine gun that can intercept ground-based and aerial threats at short and very short ranges. Quick commentary here. You notice how uh, that medium caliber 30 millimeter seems to be a kind of a favorite uh, with a lot of militaries. The United States likes the 30 millimeter, and apparently Denmark likes it too. Uh, moving on. Once delivered, the turret can be mounted on the Army's Piranha 5 armored personnel carrier to maintain their mobility and protect them during combat. The air defense system will include search radars, communication systems, and control centers. Local weapon and airspace manufacturer Terma will be responsible for integrating the elements into the air defense system. The decision to buy a new turret system was based upon market analysis considering the Danish Army and NATO's current operational requirements for air defense. Furthermore, the weapon of choice has been influenced by knowledge honed from the government's latest military experience and the ongoing war in Ukraine. The future air defense system exact design has not been released and may vary from the existing Sky Ranger configuration according to the Danish Ministry of Defense Acquisition and Logistics Organization. Here's a quote from, I guess their Defense Acquisition and Logistics Organization. His name is Kim Jesper Jorgensen. I am pleased with the choice of the Sky Ranger. We are acquiring the most modern air defense for the Army. Uh, I think there's another quote here. At the same time, other countries, including Germany, want to acquire the Sky Ranger, so we will be able to cooperate with other countries on training, ammunition, spare parts, and continuous updates of the system. The next step is to select an anti-aircraft missile to be included on the system. So now they're going to add an air defense, uh, an ADA missile, basically. So you'll have an ADA missile, and then you'll have your uh, your radar, and then the 30 millimeter. There you go. And, yeah, that's it. All right, enough on that. Uh, next, we're going to go to Poland. And will we get to the Pacific? You bet we will uh, in just a minute. So we'll go to Poland. 
Breaking Defense, our first one from Breaking Defense, 16 May. Like I said, pretty, pretty good, pretty relevant stories. Uh, this is Poland gets U.S. made HIMARS, early Apaches, and latest defense boost. Uh, this is from uh, Bartos Glowacki. I don't know if we've done a story from him before. I think we have. So here we go. Poland is ready to is ready to add its first batch of American-made HIMARS rocket launchers to its defense arsenal. Days after the government also announced an arrangement to expedite a few Apache helicopters, as Warsaw continues to fortify its military in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Polish Defense Minister um, receive—I can't say his name—so received HIMARS at an airport ceremony on Monday where he said the weapon system has proven itself in combat in the hands of the Ukraine stopping the Russian invasion. <clears throat> Here's a quote from him. These systems will go to the northeast part of our country, and their task will be to deter the aggressor, strengthen the Polish armed forces on the eastern flank of Poland and the eastern flank of NATO, he said. Uh, though the HIMARS landed in Poland, carried by Ukrainian heavy transport aircraft, and an unmistakable symbol of unity with Kiev under the shadow of Russia's invasion. They're the product of a deal that the United States approved back in 2018 when the Warsaw agreed to procure 20 HIMARS multi-launcher M142 launchers in the U.S. configuration, along with a stockpile of Gimlers, guided multiple launch rocket system, and Army tactical missile system, also known as ATACOM rockets, as well as practice ammunition along with command vehicles and technical perfect protection vehicles. At the time, the cost of the deal was estimated at $655 million. I mean, that was pre-COVID, so it was probably a pretty darn good deal. So some very good foresight from Poland back in 2018. Big time. Uh, moving on. And that language we just read is probably from the U.S. Defense Security Cooperation. Uh, yep, this proposed sale will support foreign policy and national security of the United States by improving the security of a NATO ally. Uh, that was from the United States Defense Security Cooperation Agency. If you follow the podcast, you know we read almost every one of these FMS, foreign military sales that we come across, and that's definitely language out of that. Moving on. Uh, the current delivery schedule assumes that all M142 launchers will be delivered by the end of this year and will equip the 1st Mazerska Artillery Brigade, subordinated to the 16th Mechanized Division, whose task is to defend the regions of Warmia and Missouri, not Missouri, but Missouri, in North Poland, as well as the Sawaki Gap. This gap is a sparsely populated area immediately southwest of the border with Lithuania between Belarus and the Russian enclave of Kaliningrad Oblast. This choke point would be of great strategic value should the Russian invasion spill into Eastern Europe. Uh, with HIMARS in hand, Poland ex plans to establish a HIMARS academy in order to train its troops on the system, similar to the Abrams Academy that opened in August of 2022 which we talked about here. I mean, credit where credit's due. Poland has got their stuff together, man. They certainly do. I mean, they know that materiel with an E is super important. And uh, they're buying a lot of good stuff. And they're smart enough to know that training is, is everything. So they're creating, they created that Abrams Academy for their tanks. And now they're creating a HIMARS Academy. Very smart move. 
Uh, moving on. This HIMARS deal is hardly the last. After the U.S. State Department approved a monster $10 billion HIMARS deal in February this year, uh, the defense minister, I think he's a defense minister, stand by. Yep, the defense minister uh, said Warsaw is already negotiating that one, which he hopes will include some domestic co-production of launchers and missiles. The Armaments Agency of Poland's Ministry of National Defense is expected to invite Lockheed to negotiate a framework agreement for the HOMAR-A program, which un- with, under which Lockheed with Polish industry will integrate key components of HIMARS rocket launchers on a gel 6x6 truck. I mean, not only are they doing that, they want to start building up their own defense industry. Again, smart. Uh, moving on, almost done with the article. It's a great article, but almost done. The HIMARS ceremony came days after the defense minister announced another procurement from the United States. This one in the form of Apache helicopters meant to serve as a gap filler for aircraft for training before it officially receives the first of 96 Apaches requested last September. The cost of that potential deal has not been disclosed. After meeting with the United States Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin in Warsaw on 5 May, the defense plastic, I think that's how you say his name, the defense minister from Poland said eight helicopters will allow Polish pilots and technicians to begin training as soon as possible. The larger fleet of Apaches is eventually to be fielded by the 18th Mechanized Division, which is equipped with American-made Abrams tanks. So every time we do an article on Poland, they keep referring to this 18th Mech Brigade. Uh, I'm sorry, Mech Division. So this must be like an elite, and not must be. It is. It's going to be an elite division. Uh, well-equipped, probably well-trained, obviously well-trained. You know, I mean, 18th Mech Division. Keep seeing it. Moving on. Uh, the meeting with uh, Secretary Austin also produced reciprocity. Shoot, I can't. I speak English. I can't say this word. Uh, it's. <laughs> I'm just going to skip that part, guys. Uh, the deal. The dueling announcement came as Poland continues a blitz of defense spending, with the United States and South Korea among, among its largest suppliers. It's a spending spree about which Polish officials have been unusually blunt, and we caught, we talked about this. In fact, we did almost a whole show on what Poland was spending their money on. So Poland continues to make uh, smart moves, in my opinion, and uh, yeah, they they mean business, no question about it. All right, let's go to Italy next. Our Australia. Now we'll go. To, we'll stay in Europe and we'll go to Italy. Let me pause right there. Okay, this story is from Defense News, 15 May, Monday. Italy's new warships will boast bigger bellies for landing forces. Okay, it's from Tom Kington. Um, interesting title. Here we go. So Italian Navy's Navy is planning new ship purchases to push its onboard accommodation for amphibious landing force staff and troops to 1,700 officials have told Defense News. So this is kind of a amphib story. Uh, three new 16,500-ton vessels will replace smaller vessels and, co- and combine with Italy's new Trieste landing helicopter dock to improve abilities, Italy's ability to get combat forces from ship to shore, officials said. This will give us the amphibious task force we need to combine with the carrier strike group, submarines, and special forces to complete the so-called Trident 
of Expeditionary Forces, said Rear Admiral Marco Tomasetti, who leads the Navy's General Staff Surface Capability Development Department. I've never heard that term before, Trident of Expeditionary Forces. And according to him, the Trident is a carrier strike group, amphibious task force, and submarines. Well, there you have it. I just learned something. Moving on. Italy's amphibious forces, which are made up of the Navy's San Marco Brigade and the Army's Venice Base Serenissima Regiment, currently rely on three 8,500-ton ships. And here they are, the San Marco, the San Giorgio, and the San uh, Giuisto, which are due for retirement. Uh, the funding is worth $1.3 billion, has been allocated, $1.3 billion U United States, has been allocated for the first of two of three planned replacements with an in-service date of 2028 to 2030 for the first two, followed by a third in 2031. That's not too far away. Uh, Diesel-powered with a top speed of 20 knots and 7,000 nautical mile autonomy, the new vessels will be around 600, 160 meters long and 29 meters wide with room for 200 crew and a 300-strong landing force. They will be called LXDs with the X standing for whatever because we don't want to limit the role they fill, as a quote from Tomasetti. Uh, they will join the larger 38,000-ton Trieste LHD, which enters service next year and is the largest post-World War II vessel built by the Italian Navy. All these vessels were built by the Italian yard Fincantieri. Uh, the new ships will collectively accommodate about 1,700 transported staff and troops. And another quote here. Together, all four vessels will carry two maneuver units drawn from the San Marco and the Serenissimo uh, Regiment to create a national amphibious task group. Unlike the vessels they, they will replace, uh, which have a flight deck stretching almost the length of the ship, the new LXDs will only have a rear section of the top deck for hosting two helicopters, typically the NH-90 and the EH-101. Uh, this design, similar to the Dutch Rotterdam class, means less room on the flight deck for transporting material and vehicles, but more room below deck in the garage and dock for vehicles, up to 70 tons in total, uh, with space for around 480 meters of vehicles lined up to compared to 200 meters on the old San Giorgio class. Uh, almost done here. Below deck, several load configurations are possible, including one that allows the embarkation of 20 of the new wheeled amphibious vehicles Italy signed on to buy this year from local company Iveco. And I think this vehicle is a pretty good one. So Italy first issued a requirement for a new amphibious vehicle over a decade ago, leading to Iveco developing its Super, uh, Super Rav 8x8 which in the meantime has become the basis for the United States Marine Corps' new amphibious combat vehicle. Iveco retained the design authority for the Marine Corps vehicle, while BAE took on the role of prime contractor. Uh, the new Italian vessels will also accommodate in their floodable deck two LC-23 landing craft built by Italy's Vittoria, Vittoria, which can carry 70 tons and 20 meters of vehicles lined up in each. The new craft were initially designed for the Trieste, which will carry four. Uh, last comment from Tomasetti. He said the final price for the ships is yet to be set, 
commenting, recent international events has caused overall increase of prices, especially for raw material, making any forecast price provision valid just for a very short time. He actually threw a thus in there, but I decided to leave it out. But I just threw it in there. But anyway, he said thus. And you know how I feel about thus. I think it's great. Um, that's that's it for that. Where are we at? Italy. So now we have two Australia stories. Which one first? Uh, let's see. Or is it one Australia story? Let me do this one. And maybe I'll try to find the other. So this is from Max Blinken. Uh Breaking defense, Australia watchdog blasts, new, blasts military on new warship decision. So the Australian National Audit Office, Australia's National Audit Office, has delivered a highly critical report on the decision to choose the Type 26 as Australia's new warship, declaring the Australian Defense Organization did not conduct an effective process in choosing the design. Kind of a weird story here. Defense officials did not assess overall value for money of the three competing designs, according to a lengthy report published by auditors last week. Nor did officials maintain adequate records of the ultimate decision to choose BAE Systems Type 26 global combat ship over two competing designs, in essence making it impossible for the public to understand the decision-making that went into the selection. And here's a quote from the Australian National Audit Office, also known as ANAO. The hallmark of defense management of this procurement and related advisory processes is, what, is that they lacked a value for money focus. And in that sense, the procurement did not comply with the core rule of CPRs, which is Commonwealth Procurement Rules. Uh, this is from the, that's a quote from the Australian National Audit Office. The origins of this approach which were reflected in the 2017 tender evaluation plan, are not transparent due to shortcomings in defense record keeping observed in this audit. Uh, that can't be good. So ANAO is the Australian equivalent of the United States Government Accountability Office, GAO, and its lengthy reports are generally fact-laden, authoritative, and dry, meaning the language in this report, while full of bureaucratic speak, is fairly damning. Uh, the tender evaluation for these nine new warships is term, uh, termed the Hunter class might be forgiven its shortcomings if the project was running on time and on budget. It is not. With a delay of 18 months because of the immaturities of the design and the impact of COVID-19, it's also costing more. In January, the Defense Service Ship Advisory Committee said Type 26 design maturity was overstated and therefore the extent of cost and schedule risk was underestimated. Hmm. Under Project C-5000, Royal Australian Navy is acquiring nine anti-submarine warfare frigates, ASWs, to replace nine ANZAC-class frigates. These will be constructed wholly in Australia at a new line in Osborne, South Australia. <clears throat> BA system design was chosen following a three-way evaluation against Italian uh, Fincantieri Frem and a modified version of the Spanish Navantia F100. Uh, both were mature designs with Frem in service with France and Italy and on order for the United States Navy and the F100, which is the Spanish one, a derivative of three Hobart class DDGs built in Australia. And what are these again? 
anti-submarine frigates. Uh, BAE system pitched the Type 26 anti-submarine ASW as the ultra-modern digital design that the UK Royal Navy was acquiring first and mitigating design risk for Australia. In 2018, Australia announced that the winner was BAE. The Australian military advised the government the primary reason for that choice was the superior ASW capabilities. Uh, there was just a 4% cost variation among the three bids, uh, but considering the estimated 40, $45 billion, uh, Australian dollars, $30 billion United States dollars price tag, that 4% accounts for hundreds of millions. Significantly, the Australian government saw construction of the new warships as central to its plan to create a national shipbuilding industry. Uh, how, how much more do, us, do I want to do here? Uh, in reply to the ANAO's findings, the defense agreed that the procurement lacked a value for, value for money focus. Uh, the value for money assessment is inherent throughout the defense management of the naval shipbuilding enterprise, and through this lens, the progress of the project between one between the first and second pass. Uh, defense recognizes that value for money is not solely determined by price. It said, but ANO said defense ANAO said defense had conflated the industry policy objective of establishing continuous naval shipbuilding program in Australia with actually achieving value for money and procurement. I don't have no idea what any of that means. Uh, last two paragraphs. Kind of some tough statements here from the ANAO. Defense's general approach to applying the Commonwealth procurement rules and the core principle of value for money in the hunter-class procurement and the lack of understanding of CPR requirements reflected in responses to the ANAO suggest that further training and oversight may be required of defense officials involved in high-level planning and advising of major capital acquisition products at all levels. And the bad news is at the end, with the, 21 third, with the 2031 in-service date for the first hunter looking less likely to be achieved, Navantia, I think that's a Spanish one, has stepped in with a pair of unsolicited, unsolicited proposals one to build three more Hobart-class DDGs, and the other to build six Corvettes. And last sentence is, the Australian military has engaged RAND Corporation to assess a proposal for three additional DDGs. So throwing more money after bad, I suppose. All right. I don't know. What is it with the Navy? I mean, I don't know much about the Navy, but the United States Navy has a seems to have a little trouble with strategy for ships and shipyards. I know it's complicated business, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but anyway, that's probably enough on that. Um, we're going to go to China next, I think. Yeah, this is a defense uh, defense post story. Joe Sabala, 17 May. So we got two kind of China stories back to back. Uh, the first one's kind of, I don't know. I really don't like doing like doing these kind of... Anyway, I'll do it anyway. So China says, China says ready to smash Taiwan independence, fueling invasion fears. So I guess, you know, the title of the story is not a good news story. But we'll, we'll drive into it. But the next story will be a lot more positive. So you got to take the bitter with the sweet. 
So here we go. Joe Sabala, 17 May. China has once again fueled invasion concerns after its military declared readiness to, abs- to resolutely, resolutely smash any form of independence in Taiwan. The declaration, declaration, not declaration. The declaration comes as the United States allegedly prepares to accelerate supply of weapons and equipment to the self-governing island. Chinese Defense Ministry spokesman Colonel Tan Karif considers deepening U.S.-Taiwan relations extremely wrong and a dangerous move. He further said that the country's People's Liberation Army continues to strengthen military training and preparations to resolutely defend national sovereignty and territorial integrity. Beijing insists that Taipei is part of its territory and should be brought under its control by force if necessary. The United States has become a major Taiwan arms supplier amid increasing fears of a Chinese invasion. Earlier this month, Washington ordered four MQ-9B Sky Guardian drones from General Atomics for Taiwan. The unmanned system will reportedly be used to monitor China, which has ramped up military activities near the island. In the latest development, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin confirmed that Washington will send an additional $500 million military equipment to the its Asian ally in the near term. The package could reportedly include a variety of missiles, including the man-portable Stinger, TOW-2B uh, arrow anti-tank missile, and the new Javelin mid-range anti-armor missile. China continues to catch the attention of the international community with its increasing military activities around Taiwan. Threats have been piling up as an Asian military superpower regularly sends planes and warships into waters and airspace around the island. Beijing's incursions into Taiwan's air defense zone nearly doubled in 2022, with the surge most notable in fighter jets and bomber aircraft. So last story, we're at 29 minutes. So that was kind of a, you know, depressing story. Now this one here's a little bit more positive. It's from 16 May, Defense Post. I think we did like five stories from Defense Post today. Uh, this one is from the staff. Japan, China, ministers make first call on defense hotline. So Japan and China used a new military hotline for the first time on Tuesday, their defense ministry said, following years of negotiations to set up the communication channel. Japanese defense minister Hamada held a 20-minute call with his counterpart, Chinese counterpart, Shang Fu. Uh, Tokyo's ministry said in a statement, uh, Hamada mentioned the existence of security concerns between Japan and China, such as the situation in the East China Sea, it said. He stated it is necessary to have candid com- communication, especially when there are concerns about Japan-China relations. Beijing confirmed the call, saying the air and maritime hotline will contribute to maintaining regional peace and stability. Uh, the hotline was launched on 31 March, had been mooted by both sides for over a decade, as a way to avert unexpected clashes in the East China Sea, mooted. I don't. I, mooted means something else to me. So I guess they've been talking about it for a decade, and they finally launched it on 31 March. Okay, that's what I'm taking that with. Uh, there's a territory dispute over islets, islets, islands in the area known as the Senaku, Senkaku by Tokyo and Diayu by Beijing. And they have long fueled tensions between the two countries. Japan, worried of its neighbor's growing military powers, publicly protested the presence of Chinese vessels 
around these disputed islands and other regions, including near Okinawa. As the world's second and largest, second and third largest economies, China and Japan, are key trading partners, and last year marked earmarked, and last year marked 50 years of diplomatic relations. So I knew China was a powerhouse, and I didn't know Japan. So second and third largest economies, China and Japan. Uh, but ties between them are often fraught and soured in December when Japan announced a security overhaul including more defense spending, calling China its greatest strategic challenge ever. Nonetheless, Prime Minister Kishida recently said he wants constructive and stable ties with China. Kishida met with Xi Jinping, President Wanich, on the sidelines of a summit last year, and Japan's foreign minister visited Beijing last month, the first such trip since December 2019. This week, Ishida is hosting G7 leaders in Hiroshima, where the bloc's relationship with China will be high on the agenda. And I think that is it. Uh, do I want to do this last Australia story? Yeah, might as well. In for a penny, in for a pound. Here we go. So, Pentagon seeks authority to transfer nuclear submarines to Australia. This is from Bryant Harris and Megan Eckstein. I think this is defense news. It is. Uh, 17 May today, the United States Department of Defense asked Congress to authorize the transfer of nuclear-powered submarines to Australia as part of the trilateral AUKUS agreement with the United Kingdom. Three legislative proposals submitted on 2 May and the first posted online Tuesday would greenlight the sale of two Virginia-class submarines to Australia, permitting the training, uh, permit the training of Australian nationals for submarine work and allow Canberra to invest in the United States submarine industrial base. Here's a quote here from Joe Courtney of Connecticut, uh, a top Democrat on the Armed Services Committee Sea Power panel. He praised the proposals in a statement to Defense News saying, I look forward to working with all my colleagues in Congress to fulfill these goals. Uh, the Department of Defense legislative proposals are the latest example of President Biden's commitment to fulfilling the AUKUS agreement. Importantly, the proposals spell out a clear path forward to facilitate the transfer of Virginia-class submarines to Australia while ensuring we have the necessary authorities to accept the Australian government's investments to enhance our submarine industrial base capacity and provide training for Australian personnel. The AUKUS agreement stipulates that Australia will buy at least three and as many as five Virginia-class submarines in the 2030s as part of Phase 2 of the agreement, giving Congress more than a decade to authorize the sale. A second legis legislative proposal would authorize the United States Defense Service exports directly to Australia's private sector in order to train its own submarine workers. Uh, this development must begin as soon as possible for Australia to become ready to own and safely operate these submarines in a manner that maintains the highest non-proliferation standards and strengthens the global non-proliferation regime, the Pentagon argues in the proposal. Finally, the Pentagon is also asking Congress for permission to accept Australian payments to bolster United States submarine industrial base. Australia has offered to make an undisclosed sum of investments in the U.S. submarine industrial base as part of AUKUS. Uh, the Pentagon states in the legislative proposal that those funds would be used to add a significant number of trade workers that will help the significant overhaul backlog for the Virginia-class submarine. Australian monies would also be used for advancing 
purchasing of components and materials that are known to be replacement items, submarine overhauls, and outsourcing less complex sustainment work to local contractors. Uh, the legislative proposal notes that Australian funds would be applied to recruitment, training, incentivizing, and retention of key skilled trades, engineering, and planning personnel in both nuclear and non-nuclear disciplines that are required by the additional AUKUS workload. And that's end of story there. There was some other stuff, but I didn't want to get to it. I think. Yeah, again with the Navy stuff. I mean, are they always backlogged? I guess it's, you know, a lot harder to build a ship than just write, writing it down, right? All right, that's it. 36 minutes. Uh, not bad. I wanted to do it in under 45, and I did it. So maybe this new... If you keep up with the podcast, the last few episodes, man, I was going over 45, 50, 57, and I don't know. I think maybe that was going too much. So now I'm, I'm on a new kick to go under 45. So the last two episodes, I've done that. So that's it. Um, I don't think there's any more. That's episode 123 in the books. I'll probably see you this weekend or catch me this weekend. I'll do another show. Uh, so... If you're new to the podcast and you and you found us by accident, not sure how you found us, but if you did find us, very happy that you're here. Maybe you'll come back. Maybe you won't. I don't know. Tell your friends. Uh, and if you're a returning listener, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, I know I have a few out there. So those that do keep up with the podcast, I genuinely uh, appreciate your support. So that's pretty much it. 123 is in the books. Thank you for listening and good night.